What is up, people? Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Uncommitted Podcast. Thank you to our podcast listeners who are listening to it on our uh, podcast outlets. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. I'm joined by Kendall. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about on today's show. Kendall, we got um, made possibly a big shakeup to the Kentucky coaching staff. Uh, we'll have to talk, talk about what the ramifications of that would be. We also got some updates on the recruiting trail. We have a new number one team for the 2021 class in regards to the top recruiting classes. Uh, we also got some big names signing on to play uh, for a school that we talk about a lot in this show. Um, and we've talked about him a lot on this show. Now we finally got a, a commitment here. So we'll be talking about Musa Cisse and, and his decision to, to head to Memphis. And, um, and there seems to be, a, to me, a team on the rise out east, a team that's kind of been dormant, a team that I think has been considered a sleeping giant for a lot of people. And if you, don't, if you look at the recruiting class they've started to put together at these recent days, things might be turning around for them. So uh, we'll, we'll uh, talk about them later on in the show as well. Uh, Kendall is my co-host. And Kendall, I do want to also uh, start this show a little bit of a somber note or a very somber note. Uh, to offer, you know, our condolences to the family and friends of uh, J.B. White, who is a top 100 recruit out in New Mexico. He was shot and killed at a house party. And obviously, this is a very, very tragic story whenever you hear about a kid, any child being shot um, and killed, but particularly, obviously, a kid who's about to go off to college and um, and maybe do big things. Um, this is obviously very sad. My condolences go again to his family. And to the to the Lobo uh, family as well, in terms of uh, you know that program and all the fans there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, very sad story. We talk about what happened to JB White. Um, you know, obviously, I mean, we're talking about a kid that obviously was you know a top, like you mentioned, a top one hundred uh, player in the country. Um, kid who had NBA hopes and dreams and uh, legitimate possibility with this guy, and um, obviously, like you said, just so young. You know, talking about a kid that's 17, 18 years old, and um, such a such a sense such a senseless uh, situation. But like you say, condolences to the family, condolences to you know that entire community. The like you said, the community of New Mexico basketball. Um, you know, really just a really just a tough time. But um, you know, it, there's not much more we can say about it. But it's 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 tough. Um, you know, yeah. and you know, also on the other side, you have a 16 year old kid that now is gonna, you know, spend a lot of time behind bars. It's very, it's just a sad situation. Yeah, you know, it, it goes back to, and I don't know the identity of the of the kid, but when you know, um, we speak about you know the the culture of violence in the United States, that's a part of it too. You know, it's tragic, of course, that uh, this young man was gunned down, but then you see, well, now this other young man who made a terrible, 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 unforgivable mistake, um, or action, maybe it wasn't a mistake, whatever you want to call it, um, now his life is ruined, and now, you know, his family is altered, and this is just, it's all around just a tragic situation, and I just, my prayers out to everybody out there involved with it, it's not, not the way I wanted to start this show, but we definitely had to uh, mention uh, uh, J.B. White, so rest in peace to that young man. And again, our condolences to his family. Um, but let's start the show, Kendall. Let's talk about uh, the University of Kentucky, Kendall. Now, a lot of people yes. around this program, uh, they've long attributed a lot of the team's success, not only on the court, but on the recruiting trail, to none other than longtime assistant Kenny Payne. But uh, it turns out 
he could soon be on his way out. Uh, there are reports that the New York Knicks in the NBA are apparently um, pursuing him. My New York Knicks, yes, I'm the New York Knicks fan on this show. And um, they're pursuing him. There's some reports saying that it's all but a done deal, that right now it's just dollars and cents and dotting I's and crossing T's. But um, but nonetheless, it seems like the former 76er first-round pick could soon find his way um, onto Tom Thibodeau's staff, or that's what we assume it would be. But who knows? We know he has some kind of connection to CAA. We know he's very close with William Wesley. Wesley is now a vice president, Worldwide West, for those who may know him by that name. Um, he's now obviously a vice president with the Knicks. Uh, you know, West worked a long time with CAA. CAA's former top agent, Leon Rose, is now the team president. So there's a lot of smoke with the pain situation of him leaving UK to go to the Knicks. What do you think this impact would be for the University of Kentucky and for Cal Parry for him to lose someone who by all accounts has been seen kind of their big man whisperer, a guy who has made very close connections with a lot of the star players at Kentucky. Do you think this, this could have some lasting effects here? Well, well, first of all, I found it interesting that, you know, when they asked him about it, he just came out and said, look, I love Kentucky. Uh, this is going to be a tough decision. And I was like, yeah, that don't sound like a man that's trying to stay. Yeah, that's not, typically when you're going to comment on these situations, you're going to comment and say, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I you know, I appreciate the offer, but I'm saying where I am. So to be like, this is going to be a tough decision, I don't know, man. But uh, regardless, I look, I think Kenny Payne, you're talking about the Kentucky impact of this. You're talking about um, the top assistant on Kyle Perry's staff. You know, you look at college football, we look at – assistance in college football typically more so than we look at them in college basketball um but you know if this for for a college football equivalent it'd be like nick saban losing kirby smart you know when he did a couple of years ago like kenny Payne is um is a guy that could be a head coach for almost any program in the country at this point given the things that he's done at kentucky he makes nine hundred thousand dollars a year as an assistant and i think he feels like it's probably a more comfortable job than uh, being a head coach at some of these other places, but he's he's been interviewed at Mississippi State. He's been interviewed at some a couple other jobs. I think Oregon. There was talk about him possibly getting uh, that job. So, um, no, I think Kenny Payne obviously is a is a very accomplished uh, assistant for Cal Perry. Like you mentioned, the players always talk about Kenny Payne when we talk about recruiting. Um, he's been a front man for a lot of their top players that have gone on to the NBA. Obviously. Um, like you said, the big men, especially Carl Anthony Towns, um, Anthony Davis, all speak very highly of Kenny Payne. Um, and I, look, I think what I will say is that for Kentucky is that uh, Joel Justice, another uh, assistant on the staff, a younger assistant, has kind of been a name that we've heard more more prevalently uh, on the recruiting trail. Um, and I don't know if that's by accident. I think some of it is Kyle Perry maybe trying to spread his wings a little bit. Yeah. Uh, with some other guys, knowing that Kenny Payne isn't going to be there forever. Um, so I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world, but if there's anybody on that staff that Kyle Perry can't lose, it's Kenny Payne. You know, and they're talking about replacing him with Bruiser Flint. So Adam Zagoria came out with, um, who we've had on. Who we've had on uh, yeah, shout uh, out to Adam Zagoria. Uh, he came out and said Bruiser Flint is a possibility to replace um, Kenny Payne. Bruiser Flint obviously has a great relationship with John Kyle Perry as well. 
But I don't know. I don't know if it's going to have the same impact. But um, he's an assistant out of Indiana, obviously former Drexel coach. But no, this is a tough. This would be a tough loss uh, for Kentucky, certainly. Yeah, I think that I don't want to say this is like devastating um, or anything like that. But this feels like a possible shift, you know. And I think we've kind of looked at. I think there are a lot of people in the college basketball world that have kind of looked at the Kentucky program and made. I think an honest assessment or even just asking an honest question about are the best days with Calipari behind them you know uh, look at what they've done in the tournament in recent years look at the players they've gotten it's not the same as it was when he first got there you know and not it's not to say that they haven't had great success they have you know they're still racking up big-time recruiting classes they're still uh, winning SEC championships they're still making it to the second weekend of the tournament in most of these years, in these recent years. Um, but we're not talking about them as definite national championship team to beat. You know, there were right. years where it was multiple years. Like they were a team to beat, not just they were a favorite. It was, this is the team to beat to win a national championship. And this is the best recruiting class we've seen in 10 years. He had like three of those classes. And we haven't seen a class like that in a while. We haven't seen them look that dominant on the court in a while. Now, Kenny Payne, you know, you talked about he's making 900000 with UK. The word on the street, and again, the street can be wrong sometimes. The word on the street is that uh, the New York Knickerbockers are prepared to offer him seven figures. I've seen people say that he, they're preparing to make him maybe the most highest paid assistant coach in, college, in, in the NBA. Which seems, what? I've seen, this is what I've, I'm telling you, this is what I've seen. I'm not you saying it's true. I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling you what the streets are saying. And right. That seems crazy to me a little bit. Um, yes. Considering, but yeah. Right. Considering he hasn't really had that kind of impact on the NBA landscape as a coach. But if he assistants do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but nonetheless, if you see, you can't, you counter that fact, the money is going to be better with New York. And maybe he's starting to see. We're getting great players in here. We're winning a lot. And it's been a great situation. But look, I tried for that Oregon job, didn't get it. I've been talked about with Mississippi State, didn't get it. Maybe he says, I maybe I got to go to another situation to, to once again show why I deserve a, a, a shot at one of these big name situations. Because you're a guy who's that associated with all these star players, particularly guys in the NBA already now. You don't want to go and coach at, you know, Liberty. No disrespect to Liberty, but it's the first thing that came to mind, low major. Like, you don't I want to coach. I'm disrespecting Liberty, EJ. <laughs> but that's for the conversation. Um, but, like, you don't want to coach at one of those places. You want to coach big-time big basketball, whether it be in the NBA or as, as a head coach in um in uh, in college. So Power five, yeah. Right. So and, and he deserves that, considering his track record. So I, I think the move... I think from his standpoint, I think does make sense. And oh, yeah. I, if, and I want if you, this, if you do if you go to the Knicks and it doesn't work out, you're a head coaching candidate for any college basketball team. That's, Absolutely. That's a power five for the most part. Yeah, and, and if it doesn't work out with the Knicks, trust me, no one's gonna blame you. <laughs> like the Knicks unfortunately have been in a position where no coach that's gone there has worked out for 20, 20 years. No yes. coach has gone there. Has has worked out in any long term way, so and that's including that's assistants, that's head coaches. So, if you with all your success don't work out with the Knicks, the Thibodeau staff, and then they're not able to figure out 
this Knicks puzzle, like no coach has been able to figure it out, then you're just another one in a long line of sometimes some of you guys great coaches. Like, <laughs> you know, Larry Brown, Mike D'Antoni, so, uh, you know, uh now we have Tom Thibodeau in in in, in, in tow, uh Mike Woodson, like it's you're just another one of those guys, and they didn't hurt those guys. Those guys got other jobs. They're living their life. You know, Phil Jackson, the greatest heck coach of all time, as a front office person, couldn't figure this out. So you're just right. another one of those guys, and that's not going to hurt you at all. And if you're going to make more money, I don't. There's not really much risk here. So I, I, I do want to talk a little bit about what you said about Kentucky in terms of them, uh, them seeing a dip. Um, I agree in terms of the top level talent in recent years, and I'm not I'm not necessarily talking about next year or the yeah. Year this after that. this class is gr- is great. Yeah, this class coming in this year is yeah. great. You know, Terrence Clark is the top right. five six guy in the country. They don't they haven't gotten that in the last couple of years. You know, BJ Boston yeah. obviously also a top ten guy, but in recent years, I mean, we're going, if we're going, who was, the, who was the last top five player in the country that they got? I mean, are we talking about Scalabrini this year? And obviously that doesn't yeah. feel that was a long time I mean, ago. Twenty fifteen. I mean, to me, like five and like, were great, but they weren't consensus top five guys in what no. was a great recruiting class. No. Um in some ways I feel like Cal's kinda of been recruiting kinda of like a guy we're gonna talk about next in the six in the next uh segment, Leonard Hamilton. I feel like he's been getting McDonald all American great players, but not the two or three guy. He's been getting right. yeah, a, a number 10, a number 12, a number 32. And, yeah, right. you get five of those guys. That's a great class. But is he getting that one-and-done no-doubter? Th- the one the he sh- got was a, was a bust at UK. I think the shift is for a multitude of reasons. I think the Duke-USA basketball thing didn't help, and Kentucky fans certainly and Duke fans certainly know what happened there with, you know, Duke – becoming this one-and-done factory of wheel. I mean, there were years where Duke got the number one player or number two player in the country, like, every year. And so if those guys aren't going to Kentucky, chances are they're going to Duke. So that didn't help. And I think Kyle Perry wanted to get out of that game a little bit. You could argue, is it some of the stuff with the FBI and Kyle Perry maybe trying to get out of the, you know, the money game necessarily or maybe you know, things of that nature? That's a little more under the radar, a little more off the record, but, like, that's another possibility in terms of, all right, we're not going to get the top five guy because, you know, that takes a little bit more. It take, it's, the, the feds is watching is what you're saying. Yeah, the feds are watching. The NCAA is watching. So we're not going to deal with someone like DeAndre Aiden, for example. Um, that could be a part of it. And also some of it could just be it's easier. You know, Kentucky had already built that brand of getting a John Wall, getting a Brandon Knight, getting, you know, Carl Anthony Towns. That was the last super class that Kentucky had. And they had already built that brand, so at that point, Anthony Davis another one, obviously. You didn't have to... It's a lot easier to get someone like Tyler Hero, who wants to be John Wall, wants to be Devin Booker. Yeah, you, you know, they like, want to be They want to be named with those names. Right, exactly. Guys that aren't typically. It's a lot harder to convince some kid that is the number one player in the country already. Anthony Edwards, James White. I don't have to go to Kentucky. I can be the number one pick anywhere. Now, someone like Tyler Hero, someone like Emmanuel Quickly, Ashton Hagen, someone that's maybe a little more fringe five-star, those guys will sign me up, of course. And if you get five, six of those guys every year, you're still going to have the number one class in the country. But the top-level talent, it's, it's hard to win like that, first of all, with a bunch of freshmen, none of them special talents, which is why Kentucky's had 
trouble in recent years. I think this year they're going to be really good because they do have some special talent. But it's hard to win like that consistently. So um, it'll be interesting. And some of it, you wonder with Kenny Payne leaving, you got Worldwide West out of the business. You got Leon Rose out of the business. Does that also worry him? And that worries some people around Kentucky saying, look, we don't got guys in the streets getting us players anymore. Now, that's, again, you know, we're assuming that there is some stuff going on, but it's a reality. No, there's no question about that. And, you know, in regards to the Knicks, I mean, I think it, it makes sense for them. You know, I think that, you know, the number, the money number, I don't know how much that makes sense, but the Knicks are big game hunters. It's not, it's I mean, only money. It's not yours. Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not my money, first of all. And it's, it's uh, and the Knicks are in a big game hunting situation. Um, they want to get the top players. There's zero question about that to me because you, as you know, shout out to Jonathan Macri, who was on this uh, on this YouTube channel uh, and on this podcast network not that long ago. You don't sign a guy like Leon Rose unless some part of your plan includes bringing on big name stars. So we know Payne's connection to plenty of the biggest stars in the NBA now. You know, Devin Booker, we see what he's doing in the NBA bubble. We know what Anthony uh, Anthony Davis is. We know what Cat is as a player. So those are the guys out of all. And, and some, well, while we say that, and obviously he's not anywhere near those guys. Um, you know, Kevin Knox had a great relationship apparently with Kenny Payne. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, and I'm certain that that's something to do with why they were also interested in him too. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean – for the Knicks, I, I get it. I think that he would make sense to add to their, um, to their. I think what's becoming a very fascinating front office coaching staff situation, where you have like this blend of basketball people mixed with non-traditional basketball staffers. Let's just put yeah, it that yeah. way. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, even like Alex Klein, you know, a kid that was a yeah, a recruiting. Guru, <laughs> and now is is a, a, one of their top scouts. I mean, that's they've definitely been uh, they've definitely been unique and creative in how they've built that that front office. But um, no, yeah, I mean, I look at uh, Kenny Payne. I think that number that you talked about that that seven potential seven figure number. I think a lot of that is they think that there's going to be real value. I mean, you could argue some of that's just like, yeah, I have a job. Of course, I'm going to give my friend, you know, a job as well. You know, sometimes people do that. But from a value standpoint, if we're we're talking about the Knicks seriously really want Kenny Payne, I think they know that he can bring them or help bring them guys like Harnell Z-Towns, Devin Booker, things of that nature. And if that's the case, then you pay him whatever you want, whatever he wants. And yeah, if, if that is a difference maker in Kentucky, obviously there are, if you go through the list of guys that Kenny Payne has coached at Kentucky that are in the NBA now, of course, yeah, there are some guys in there that you, you don't really care about. Willie Cauley Stein, you know, Wendy and Gabriel. I mean, nobody's signing up, <laughs> nobody's lining up to get those guys. But right. obviously there's the Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, you mentioned Anthony Davis, De'Aaron Fox. Um, it, it's it, Jamal Murray. Like, there's a lot of star players that have come through that Kentucky program. Yeah, that, you know, Knicks fans would take one of them and be like, "Wow!" That's oh, I guy. would, <laughs> I would take a lot of those guys for sure. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so of course, if Kenny Payne helps in making them an attractive destination for for those guys, then you have to do it. I mean, look at the Celtics with Brad Stevens. There's no way you could tell me that Brad Stevens being there didn't help 
in the recruitment of Gordon Hayward. Of course. You know, like right. Gordon Hayward, of course, the Celtics were also a very attractive destination from a basketball perspective at that point. But at the end of the day, it was almost always going to be the Celtics because Brad Stevens coached Gordon Hayward in college. So, I mean, look, again, I don't know if Kenny Payne is making up for all of the, the issues the Knicks sometimes have had, but it certainly helps. And then you throw in World Wide West, throw in Leon Rose at it totally makes sense from Nick's perspective. I would certainly put him on the staff. Um, Ross Strickland's another guy that's been talked about, another Kentucky yeah. connection there. But it, it'll be fascinating. It'll certainly be fascinating. I think the Knicks, um, like you said, trying to almost put together a super team of sorts when it comes to uh, when it comes to the recruiting. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I think that I yeah it is it is weird and it is fascinating. And I, I think that there's a chance this could work, but other people may think otherwise. It's garden spin! Some, some people may think that it's garden spin. <laughs> um, you know, you never you never know. But uh, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see how this uh, ends up shaking out. Um, I, I kind of, you know, teased it earlier, but the, the Florida Seminoles, uh, by some accounts, or by Florida all State. accounts. Well, Florida State Seminoles, sorry. Um, <laughs> like, well, I mean, I don't... Yeah, you know, no gator chance here, though. I'm not crazy about the Seminoles either, if anybody knows my college football weaknesses. Um, but the Florida State Seminoles, by pretty much all accounts, they have, yes, Kendall, thank you for throwing up the U. They have the number one recruiting class for 2021, and they added just another commitment this week with uh, guard uh, Jalen Worley. So he joins uh, Bryce McGowans, John Butler, Matt Cleveland. Uh, all of these guys are top 50 guys. So four guys, all top 50 this early in, in the game. Um, that's a great job by, by Leonard Hamilton. Also a top three Juco kid. Yes, exactly. Um, so, so that, that, this is, this is, uh, this, this is shaping up to be a great class here. What do you, uh, make of the moves happening over at Florida state? How long do you think they'll have this number one spot? Um, what do you, what do you have to say about this Kendall? Yeah. I mean, Florida state has done an excellent job. Um, Oh, I mean, they've, Leonard Hamilton's always been kind of this dark horse recruiting guy. And in terms of when you look at a player's list over the last, we've seen five years, five, six years, when you look at a player's list, Florida State is almost always on it, especially if you're talking yes. about a guy that's East Coast or South. Seven, or know, seven feet tall. <laughs> yeah, you know, seven feet, as you see in this class with John Butler and Nikhil McLeod, you have two seven-footers. But... You know they've always been this 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 school where they they tend to they've missed on a lot of guys, but they've always been involved. I mean, Jonathan Isaac. I mean, not Jonathan. Jonathan Isaac, the guy they got. He was one of the first big guys that they got in terms of uh, five star. You know, can't miss one and done type of player. But um, they were in there deep with Kevin Knox, missed out. They were in there deep with Andrew Wiggins and missed out. Andrew Wiggins was the big one where um, they thought they were going to get him and they did not. Um, Anthony Edwards was another big one that they thought they would get, and he did not. But Leonard Hamilton has always stuck his nose in these recruitments. James Wiseman was a guy that he said that was his second school, uh, which Kentucky fans obviously did not like or believe necessarily, but Wiseman said Florida State was his second school. So that's, I have a theory on why guys want to play for Leonard Hamilton. But I, what's, what's the theory? I get, no. <laughs> so you want to hear the theory? I want, yeah, you just you can't just throw out there have a theory. But wait a minute, let me talk about something else. Like, what's the theory? Why? Why do players want to play for Leonard Hamilton? Why is he so? Why is him and his staff been so impressive on these trails, on these recruiting trails? Right, and they have 
Scotty Barnes, top 10 player, top five by some people committed this year. I think guys want to play for Lamar Hamilton are, and are willing to listen to his pitch because I think, look, if we, I mean, if we're just being honest, there aren't a lot of black coaches in college basketball, um, black head coaches. And for a long time, he was the most prominent one. I mean, you had him, you had John Thompson at Georgetown. Um, I mean, again, I mean, you had like guys who were below Leonard Hamilton's level in terms of coaching ability. In terms yeah, of I mean, Tubby, Tubby Smith at, you know, Kentucky. Yeah, Tubby Smith was also another high-profile guy. Yeah. And then you had, you know, Paul Hewitt, and you had, you know, Norm Roberts and a couple other guys obviously out there, Dave Lato. But we're, but if you're talking about guys that were, you know, in the last five, six years that have competed for Final Fours and, you know, had top 20 teams almost every year, Leonard Hamilton was right there. Yeah. So, I think that I think that's part of it. Some guys just want to play for a, a black head coach, and you know, obviously, Leonard Hamilton's going to be at the top of the list for a lot of these guys. You know, especially considering he also coached in the NBA. So, um, I think I think his recruiting bitch is, is legitimate. Um, I think players like him. Um, and look, I mean, the the Jalen Worley, I, I really like Jalen Worley. I mean, I, I do Memphis, him hard. Yeah, uh, we're talking about a kid that's six five. You know. Can score at all three levels. Good athlete. Again, six. The size is really impressive. We got a six-five strong guard. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he had a nice pedigree playing at West Town, which, you know, in in the in east in the eastern PA region is, is a powerhouse. Uh, it's where Cam Reddish went, where Mo Bamba went. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's the that's the that's the jewel, the crown jewel of their recruiting class right now, but. We'll see if they're done. We'll see if they stay at number one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know what their scholarship situation is like, so I don't know if this is it for them or if they have potentially You can always do with the scholarship situation, EJ. I mean, we know that, Chet-Hoon, obviously. Like, oh, Florida State, they got some good going on. Yeah, some, somebody, uh, somebody's going to be, yeah, somebody's going to be exiting state left. I, I understand that. Um, but nonetheless, let's say this is it and they can't offer anyone else. This is a great class. I probably want a number one because there's not like that top ten or five guy. But um, all these kids are impressive. And the one thing you look at whenever you look talking about Leonard Hamilton classes is what you said size. I see six foot six, six foot six, six foot five, seven feet, seven feet. Like <laughs> when you play Florida State, man. Like when you got that much size, that much athleticism, and the guys that. Leonard is able to get to like yeah sometimes you got some more lumbering players but a lot of these guys that he get they're not just big and just like lumbering and slow like they're also super athletic and it it makes sense because Leonard Hamilton demands a lot on the defensive end um sometimes they'll press they play a very strong um they they extend out on their man-to-man half-court defense so they they hope that you know intimidating teams with their length and size will will help and, and and then also they'll they'll usually dominate the backboard, so th- this is this has been a, a, a great job by Leonard Hamilton, and I think you make a good point about um, race being a factor in some of these some of his high recruiting classes. As you said, there aren't a lot of high prominent black coaches in college basketball, and it's kind of crazy. It feels like you know we mentioned names of yesteryear; these are all names that were once his peers, but he's outlasted all. Of them. You know, yeah. and we forget, you know, Leonard Hamilton, you know, you got, you got the, yeah, you know, you got the joke, you know, black don't crack, but like, you know, 
we forget Leonard Hamilton is like 72 or 73. He's old, but he's not, you know, some young coach that, you know, oh, he's able to connect with the kids because he's young and energetic. I mean, he's right. been coaching forever, and he's an older coach. So, one yeah, that still speaks to a lot of these guys. Right. So, for one, that speaks to still how great he must be and personally. But also, that speaks to, yes, the idea that as a black coach in this field that hasn't seen a lot of black coaches, the fact that he's had this much success, I think definitely has uh, something to do with it. And um, look, man, I, I think we're starting to get to a point when we look at, okay, Duke, obviously, number one team in the ACC. We all know Carolina is their rival. But when it comes to who year in and year out is going to be a threat to win that conference, we might be in a position. Yeah, we know UVA is there. It's a obviously, thing more than I think it is a talent based thing. But yeah. right, but I th- I think to me for 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 you ask Coach K, I think he's always going to be worried about Virginia because they are always great. But I think Florida State is always going to be seen that's going to be like, man, we play them. It's a I'm war. Scared. It's a war. Like they got, they got dudes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, they and, yeah, it's, and it's not disrespect to North Carolina because we know how they can recruit. We know the rivalry, but again, we've seen some lean years recently with Carolina. We know Virginia; they win a lot of games. They just won a national championship, but they haven't. They don't rack up the kind of big, top-notch recruiting classes. The the kind of raw yeah. talent that Florida State comes in with. Um, to me, like they're they're the ones kind of staring down Duke now, saying. And watch every time they play. It's to me, it's must see TV when Duke plays Florida State. They're to me the team that's most likely to beat them whenever they play them in that conference. And I'm putting Virginia and Carolina in that conversation. Yeah, especially um, when they go to when they go to Tallahassee, man. That's they always have problems, man. It, it, like if it's not a Cam Reddish three or like it, it's always if they win, it's always on yeah. some hijinks. Like it's never it's yeah. never easy. So yeah. Uh, I've seen them go to Charlottesville and beat Virginia up a million times. You know, yeah, <laughs> and, you know they, them score like forty points in the yeah, half. You know, and I've I seen yeah, and I've seen um, uh, you know, obviously North Carolina. Those are toss ups because it's Carolina and Duke, so you never know what happens. It's a rivalry game, but Florida State's serious, man. And I think that we got to give Leonard Hamilton his flowers. He might is he the best coach in college basketball now that hasn't gone to a Final Four? Um. Because Mark Few held that title for a long time, I think right. at least. Chris Beard and then Tony Bennett and then Tony Bennett held that title, I think, yeah, short, for, a short, for like title. a year, and then he got there. Right, had the title for a little bit, or was in that conversation. Now he's been there quite a few times. That that I mean, he might be. I mean, look at accomplishments. All the top of your head that you think of elite coaches that hadn't been there. I mean, one of the guys I think about is Buzz Williams. I wouldn't consider him elite. He's a good coach. Right. Um, hmm. You've got a guy, I mean, like Randy. I mean, Andy. I guess has, has Andy, has, uh, has, uh, has Miller got to the, Miller hasn't gotten to the final four yet, right? Huh? Archie? Yeah. No, his brother. Oh, Sean Miller. Yeah, Sean. Oh, okay. I don't think he's got to the. Andy Miller, I was like, the agent? No, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, no, Sean Miller hasn't. Yeah, I would say Sean Miller, but okay. And and some people look at Sean Miller and like he's a million Calipari, where like he's not that great a coach. He just <laughs> I think you has one of those guys a lot of great players, right? Um, and so, I don't I don't necessarily feel that way about him, right? 
Like I, I think that he's a I think he's a good coach that just hasn't cashed in with a lot of his talent. Mick I don't think he necessarily done the greatest greatest job. Um He he put himself in that conversation last year with the job he did at UCLA. He did a great job. Cronin's great. I mean Cronin gets a lot of and heat. Cronin, we talk about Cronin, he they just picked up a five star Peyton Watson out of uh, out of uh California. Yeah, Cronin Cronin gets a lot of heat for the the just he just hasn't had success in the NCAA tournament. There's no uh, nice way to say it. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. if we're going to be truthful and 100, which we're always trying to keep it 100 on the show, he's not had success in the NCAA tournament. But, look, again, year in and year out, the rack, the, the amount of wins he's been able to rack up, he goes to a desolate UCLA program. They look dead in the water to start the season, and they were in, they were in contention to win the conference. Did they win the conference? They didn't. They almost did. Um <laughs> Yeah, like that's last season's all a blur. Yeah, it's all a blur. I don't know. Somebody, some <laughs> UCLA fans, like or some you know Oregon fans, like we won the conference. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, we you know UCLA had a great had a great run in conference play. Like, yeah, he's he's a, he's a, another underrated coach. I think all those guys we mentioned are definitely in the conversation, but Leonard Hamilton certainly uh, among them as well. Let's, uh, imagine let, if they would have had before we, before we move on. Yeah, imagine if they would have gotten Anthony Edwards last year. Which for you a could, long time you could say that favorite. about like every guy he's been close to. Uh, yeah. Like yeah, imagine yeah. they got Andrew Wiggins, imagine that they got this guy or that. Like he's been close with yeah. a lot of big recruits. Yeah. And closer than I think a lot of people realize in some instances. And like, he would still be great without those guys. Yes. You know? And he's like, still winning without those guys. Because he puts together classes like this. Like he has right. A lot of other good players who may not be again number two, number right. three guys. Like in Matt, their, like Matt in their is a guy that's going to be. He might end up being a lottery pick in three years. Exactly. Like, he might be a junior. Might be Devin Vassell, where he plays two, three years at Florida State, and in two or three years is one of the best players in college basketball. Exactly. And Florida State is is great at that, and I mean they're going to be great next year. They're going to be great this year. So it, it's it's a it's a product of of Leonard Hamilton. Let's uh let's talk about another program here. Let's talk about Memphis. So, uh, Musa Cisse announced that he would be joining the Memphis Tigers for the upcoming season. Uh, his uh, recruitment uh, was a long process that included several big name schools. That once again also included Florida State, uh, also included LSU. Uh, Memphis also has landed a four star recruit Josh Minot, who is the uh, who's in the year twenty twenty one class, and they also added Ontario Morris for the twenty twenty two class. He's a five star recruit. That kid, Morris, he can't hoop. Dynamite, man. He I go. mean, I, I I wanted doing my research for this podcast. I'm watching these clips. I'm like, this guy is two years away. Like, there's he, there, so there is some talk that he may reclassify. There he should talk about. It. He should think about it because he don't he he don't play like a junior or a rising junior, <laughs> whatever he's supposed to be. Like right, like his athleticism, his size, and for his handle. His handle for his size, right. his size in general for a guard. That guy can go, man. And right. look, yeah. the whole question about you know was Memphis, you know, were we seeing Penny's demise? And yeah. you know, and now things look a lot different very quickly. Yeah, I mean, again, like you said, we had that conversation. You know, where, where does the Memphis program go after you know Mike Miller was gone, Jalen Green? Besides, I'm not going to Memphis. I'm going to the D League. That was a dark time, you know, for, for Memphis basketball. It looked like not not a lot of things were happening. But 
Um, with Musa Cisse, that was the that was the big get. Um, you know, I mean, we said it on the show that it seemed like that's what that's where he would end up going, just because although there was a lot of LSU and Florida State smoke, you know, it it just made sense for a lot of reasons. Um, his connection to Preston Achua and Penny Hardaway said after they got him, he said Preston Achua did just as much as I did through the recruiting chair, you know, and being able being a guy that is close with, with Musa and having played the same position and been in that spot and now going to be a lottery pick and was conference yeah. player of the year. That's something that precious and obviously Penny and Cody Topper and that staff could speak to about to Musa about you're going to be next in line. Everything precious was doing, you're going to do. And that's, that's uh, certainly a factor, I think, in why he decided to go there. Um, and, I mean, you're talking about a guy that, I mean, one NBA scout, uh, Matt McKay, came out and said that he thinks that Musa Cisse, from a defensive standpoint, could play in the NBA right now. You know, I mean, and that he thinks feels, he'd be the best defense player in college basketball. I mean, that feels hyperbole playing defense right now in the NBA, but, I mean, he's a force. I, I don't know about from a, you know, obviously, you know, you got to know certain coverages and things of that nature and, as a big man, you got to communicate. So I don't know if he's already there, but he had 20 blocks in a game. So I think there are certainly some – the Celtics could certainly use a rim protector like Musa Cisse. Um, but it, in college basketball, certainly he's going to he's gonna make a, a huge impact from a defensive standpoint. Offensively, still a lot, you know, for him to improve on. He's still very, very raw. But, for, um, but you're talking about a guy that, you know, doesn't need – the ball on his hands, and Memphis has a lot of guys that do need the ball on his hands and will want the ball in their hands, so good fit there. And like you said, the Arterio Morris is, you know, reminds me of De'Aaron Fox. You know, that's who I think about when I watch that's him. Good, that's a good one. That's a good comparison. Yeah. Righty De'Aaron Fox in terms of, you know, end-to-end, extremely fast um, in the half court. Can still get by guys in the half court because of his speed. Um, and like you say, he does have some moves in isolation you know, that are impressive that De'Aaron Fox didn't have at this stage. So, um, like you said, I, I think, you know, even if he's playing next year, that that, that will be exciting. Uh, or if he waits two years, you know, whenever he gets to college, that will be exciting. But exciting time for Memphis, um, indeed. Yeah, man, more six foot three, just a blur, tight handle. He's a serious player. And I think, I think, uh, Minot can play too. Um, Little yeah. raw, uh, yeah, definitely raw. Needs to he needs to get a little more explosive, but but know. I think he's the kind of guy to me that's interesting because I think when we look at what is Memphis's program as a player development program, to me he's like going to be like on your exhibit A's. You know what I'm saying? Older play, yeah, right. Because a lot of the players that they've gotten, some of the players they've gotten at least. The, the, the guys that kind of, not finished products, but they're guys with high high skill level. They've played a long time. Even the guys like Boogie Ellis, he's a highly, you know, talent, you know he's a highly skilled right. player. You know, like, yeah. yes, he's got to improve, but you don't look at him and say, oh, he's raw. You know what I'm saying? You just say maybe he's got to tighten up his game. Like, this kid is is more raw, but when you got a guy, again, 6'8", has a little bit of a handle, has athleticism, shoot. Yeah. can shoot a little bit. Like I want to see, okay, what is Penny Hardaway's program in terms of player development with a guy like this, who we know has the potential to be uh, a starting caliber player on a high D1 program, but you're probably going to have to build him up to that. I don't think he comes in as a freshman uh, and is, you know, averaging 15. That's not going to be what he does. I don't think, at least. 
my and I did a. It's funny. He did an interview at two four seven Sports. Uh, their their Memphis Go Tigers two four seven their Memphis affiliate, and he actually came out and said that when him going to Memphis and being coached by Penny Hardaway is like Penny Hardaway having playing his entire career getting into coaching and then having a time machine and getting able to coach himself at 18 years old, <laughs> which I'm like, all right, that's a lot. It takes a lot of confidence for a kid to say that. I don't know. I, I love the confidence, but he clearly has not seen Penny Hardaway play basketball. I mean, the Penny Hardaway Memphis clips are some ben, of the craziest yo, you'll ever see. Yo, Penny Hardaway at Memphis was Magic Johnson. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. what he was. Like, but like Magic Johnson with a, like a modern game, right? Like Penny Hardaway in Memphis, you could put into the NBA today. Like the, his game, like it's the same. The way they play and the way he played back then, he was a completely ahead of his time. No disrespect to my not. I know he could play. I'm just saying, <laughs> no, not not Penny Hardaway. Not the guy with that kind of skill level at that age. No, uh, but does he have some skills and does he have a lot of raw ability? If Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, one of those guys, I would have been like, you know, all right. Yeah. You know, you're going somewhere. But. <laughs> or even like LaMelo Ball. Like, you know, like, that, right. you know, that I'd say, okay, yeah, I see some of the comparison. You know, you know my knot's a little more raw, but but uh, I, I think that, you know, and, you know, we, we had, you know, Coach Toppert on the show, an assistant coach over there. I mean, development guy. And he's a big player development guy. We know the work he's done. talked about Cody Toppert being a big factor in why he committed said that you know he showed him a lot of you know analytic stuff and yeah. showed him a lot of film of nba players that he kind of reminds him of and ways in which he feels like he can improve so copper it seems to be kind of replacing mike miller's role as the the top guy on, on memphis's recruiting staff that wouldn't surprise me because we had topper on this podcast we had an extended podcast with him he's impressive man like he knows yeah. the guy knows the game and you could tell he's yeah. a basketball life nba college g league right. high school so, that loves basketball. Yeah, exactly. So to me, you get that guy talking hoops with you, telling you how you know he can improve your game and how you can fit with what they're doing with his pedigree and player development. I and would you got see Penny Hardaway on top of that. Yeah, and then Penny Hardaway is your head coach, and you have a similar body type to him. Um, yeah, makes a makes a lot of sense. So again, uh, the the word of Penny's demise was uh, greatly exaggerated. It appears <laughs> over at Memphis. But uh, let's uh, last story of the day. Let's talk about what I consider to be one of the most, one of the biggest sleeping giants in college basketball. That's wow. the UConn Husky program. I thought you were going to say DePaul. Well, you know how I feel about DePaul. DePaul is 100. I mean, they're a sleeping giant, but they've been sleeping forever. <laughs> like, they've never awakened. Yeah, I don't know if I characterize them as giant. Yeah, they, they, they've never actually awoken. We don't know what it actually looks like. We've never seen what a very successful, long-term, com- competent DePaul po- uh, program looks like. Dave Lato, man, they, he had that program rocking in the non-conference last year. Yeah, he's we don't talk about conference play, but they got them big. Yeah, they got them. They saw them Big East teams. They look like DePaul again. I don't know what happened because they they played some good non-conference teams in one. I don't know what that was about, but. Nonetheless, no, I mean, I think in terms of uh, the, the current programs that are struggling, UConn, to me, is, is a huge, huge sleeping giant. And I think that what we're seeing recently with their recruiting class, I think 
is there are a lot of reasons why we're seeing it happening. So UConn, um, by a lot of accounts right now, they have a top five recruiting class in the 2021 class. They've All been on a little bit. Last week. Yes. <laughs> and I was about to say, they've been on a hot streak with recent recruits. So in recent days, they've nabbed four stars, Samson Johnson, uh, Jordan Hawkins, and Rasul Diggins. Uh I feel like I know why this is happening, and I know I talked to you a little bit about it off air, but it's not an accident. I think this is happening the year where they're moving to the Big East. I think that the American Athletic Conference era at UConn was crushing for the basketball program, men's basketball program. Um, I think that I never could have imagined it would have been this tough, but I think you you part of UConn's appeal is. These kids from the New York area, from the Boston area, they get to play near family, near friends. They get to play against family, against friends. Because UConn is a is a really nice school. It's a good campus. But it's not, you know, nobody's running to stores, Connecticut. Yeah. Like, it's cold. It's You're kind of in between New York and in between Boston. You're not really anywhere. So it's not this, like, great destination to go to college. But the history of the program and the idea that you're part, you're one one of these big schools playing against all your other friends against at these other big schools was a part of the appeal. And the job Calhoun did with UConn being the dormant of the, the the doormat of the Big East for just forever. Like nobody, it's crazy that people don't realize how absurdly terrible UConn was before Calhoun got there, and why he that's why he's such an icon because he turned nothing, literally nothing, into something at UConn. Once the AAC became part of the situation, they were no longer part of the Big East. I think that took away a lot of the luster. And I can't say they weren't getting any recruits because they were getting some guys. But UConn was a team that was usually competing for one of the top recruiting classes in the country. They yeah, them being year. in the top, them being in the top five was not like, oh my god, how did this happen? That was, you know, oh wow, they're in the top five this year. They, you know, they're UConn. It makes sense. You know, them being in the top ten, definitely not surprising. They were they were one of the top programs in the country. They haven't been able to recruit like that. I think that the Big East factor is huge. You know, we talked to uh, Coach Hurley, Danny Hurley, at AAC Conference Media Day last year. And, you know, first of all, Hurley, he's a great guy to talk to. Um, I think that's part of the reason why these recruits are, are interested. But he he was honest. You know, he's not going to kill the ACC, AAC while he's there. But, uh, but he said, you know, we know the advantages that come with recruiting as a biggie school and we're excited to see what we're able to do well now we see and i think that everybody needs to be very afraid because danny hurley can coach and we now we know danny hurley can recruit with the right parameters around him right and when i i just gotta say real quickly what excites me and why i'm saying this is a sleeping giant that we need to be mindful of and careful of the rasul diggins recruitment was fascinating to me because here you got Philadelphia kid being recruited by Villanova and everything about Diggins' mentality, his game, his where he's from fits Villanova. And it, we always talk about getting the Jay Wright kind of guy. This yeah. is the kind of guy that makes sense for Villanova. Chip on your shoulder, tough guard that can get to the hole. He fits everything. So yeah. How would UConn have a shot at this kid? He told. He said why he committed to UConn. He said, basically, Danny Hurley challenged me. He said, there's no reason for you to come here 
when you can go to Villanova, which is comfortable, it's a beautiful place, you're at home, a Philly kid going to UConn, you know, you'd be the villain. Why would you ever take that kind of challenge? And he said, I was challenged. So he said, challenge accepted. I'm going to UConn. And if, if when you see Danny Harley on the sidelines, um, the fire that he brings to that program, and then he's also, again, he's a super nice guy off the court. Yes. But when I hear that, I'm like, man, it makes me want to play for Danny Hurley. Like, that's that's recruiting right there. And yeah. that's this him getting that kind of player, a top 50 kind of player, in Jay Wright's backyard, that tells me something. Something may be happening at UConn. We need to pay attention. <laughs> excellent, excellent, uh, excellent points there, EJ. Now, we also learned that he's also a big Iron Man fan, so shout Shout out to uh, Danny Hurley, but yes, no, he did. I mean, he, he's uh, he's had a an, an interesting uh, run this last week or two. Um, you mentioned, I mean, the Rasul Diggins. They had an interesting tweet that UConn. I don't know if it was from Danny Hurley's Twitter account, or from UConn's UConn basketball. I think it was Danny Hurley. He tweeted a uh, video of Rocky running up the the Rocky steps. <laughs> You know, yeah. celebrating after after uh, Russell Diggins committed, obviously being from Philly. Um, but then after that, you you know, we were going to talk about the Diggins commitment, and we were just going to talk about that when that happened. We were like, we, all right, let's mark this down. Something we're going to talk about uh, on next week's show. And then they get two more commits from top fifty, top one hundred kids. Like you said, both all guys in the Northeast talking about, you know, Jordan Hawkins, the kid from Damatha. Obviously, yeah. high pedigree place uh, school out in Ma- in uh, Maryland. I'm sure Pat then, Ewing would have wanted to have a conversation with a kid like Jordan Hawkins. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like, you know, you know and and Samson Johnson. Exactly. No, Pat Patrick. Cool. Samson Johnson, kid from yeah, from St. Patrick's, the Patrick School. Um, but again, Hurley really had that same conversation with Johnson. It's like, yo, go to Seton Hall. Why, why, go, why are exactly. you here? Exactly. Go to Georgetown. You know, but and and. If you're in the American Conference, I mean, yeah, I guess you can tell Rasul Diggins, look, man, I mean, you might as well go to Temple, but that that doesn't doesn't rock the it's same. It's not, not not ringing the same way. You're you're no disrespect to Temple, you're a Temple alum, but it doesn't ring the same. Or you know, go to go to Tulane, you know, like those situations, uh, it's a lot different, you know. And I think the recruiting profile, the guy that UConn's going after, voice fit the Big East way more than it fit the American Conference. Um, I think there was still. I think there was a lane for UConn to be competitive and dominant in the American, but they, they, it was again a bad conference fit mixed with I think a not a great coaching job by Kevin Ali and some other stuff mixed in there that led to what we see now or what we've seen in the last couple of years, which is some ineptitude. Um, but no, I mean we've we've seen we've seen them do an excellent job on the recruiting trail uh, over there, at UConn and. Yeah, I think Curly, um, we could be looking at him as a guy that, you know, in a couple of years m- might be on that list of best coaches that haven't made it to a Final Four or <laughs> might be on the list of coaches that haven't made it to a Final Four if you can really get this thing going. But, um, no, yeah, UConn is, is a team that if, if you're if you're in the Big East, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, sleep on UConn. Especially, I mean, I wouldn't even, I mean, next year, they got, they, I mean, they, they've had, they had some talent this year and they were young and they still were very competitive. They're now bringing back a lot of guys on next year's team, um, bringing in some guys, 
And again, in 21, that's when you think UConn really, really might be saying, all right, this this program is back. Um, yeah, yeah, because, I mean, yeah, I mean, you said, you know, last year, even in what we knew was still kind of them working towards something last year in the conference, so you know they got a target on their back, they go 19 and 12, and and, yeah. and they were respectable. Um, and in Hurley's whole career, he's been about these, you know, kind of rebuild projects um, at places that, you know, have had success in the past, but have fallen on hard times. He was at Wagner. Wagner was a team that could get to the tournament, winning the uh, the NEC conference. He got that they were a terrible team. He gets there a couple of years later. He wins 25 games. He goes to Rhode Island. Rhode Island, at a point in time, they were getting some dudes, and they've fallen on hard times. First year, he wins eight games. By his last year there, they win 26. He had two back-to-back 25-plus win seasons. Then he gets to UConn, another team, hard times, but a great history. 16 wins the first year. We knew it was kind of a mess, but improvement in the second year. And now we see we see a marketed improvement in the, on the recruiting trail in just a week. <laughs> For a week, we've seen different kind of recruiting from uh, Hurley, and I feel like the guys he's getting fit, as you said, not just the Big East profile, but I think fit his profile as well as a head coach. So... I'm, you know, I'm just saying. I think that UConn is a team that we've correctly ignored because there's been nothing to talk about with UConn yeah. basketball. That's not going to be the case, I think, very soon. I think people got to start paying attention. And it's so it's so interesting because like it's we I mean, really like the last like four or five years, even like the last two or three. Like there have been guys that in 2004, 2005 would have went to UConn. You know, oh, yeah. I look at absolutely. You know, Jonathan Kuminga, yeah. I was a kid this year. You know, in a different time period, probably would have been playing for UConn. You absolutely. know, or Precious Achua almost went to UConn in 2006. Is is all 100 going to UConn? Probably moved yeah. to C-State also. Like yeah. these types of guys are guys that <laughs> normally are going to UConn, but they weren't even thinking not, about UConn. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not. It's only guys not even looking at UConn. Yeah, and it's easy to think about um and and that's the difference between this program i mean the the, the shabazz napier national championship i don't want to say it was lucky because it was great but it was for like it was kind of fool's gold for that program to it think was, that I like agree. you know shabazz napier was a great great player obviously he was also a calhoun guy but he's a great great player yeah and you know, you had Ryan Boatwright, who's also really good, but that team wasn't that deep. wasn't filled with that many UConn kind of guys. It was just Napier, who was really, 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 really good. In a season of college basketball, wasn't that great. But everything since then has been pretty bad. And oh yeah, it's been all bad. Yeah. <laughs> like the like the <laughs> like the to JID Jid. It was all bad. His song. It, it was all bad <laughs> since then. So I I mean it that. And the the national championship. I mean, Kevin Ollie won himself four or five years off that championship, which, uh, yeah. you know, good. shout out to him. And I hope Kevin Ollie gets another coaching job. Yeah, give Kyle, did he get his money? He needs to get his money. I don't, I don't think he got. Any, man. Yeah, that was that was messed up. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying the coaching job he did was great, but he should have got his money but anyway. Continue. Yeah, you can't fire a coach. All it was violations, so he ain't getting any of your money. Yeah, no, but, that was that was corny. But no, yeah, I think that this was a. Um, this is certainly an excellent movie for UConn basketball. It's certainly a sign that things are starting to change. Danny Hurley might be the guy there. Something that 
uh, people weren't sure about it at, at one point. Yeah, I, mean, I think the first year, especially, I think people were like, "This guy with all his energy and all this, you know, you know, tough New Jersey talk, sixteen wins." But <laughs> last year, nineteen wins. Now starting to rack up recruiting class. Now you got these urban legend stories with Danny Hurley on the recruiting trail. That those yeah. those that's important. Like we Jordan that, Hawkins we talking about Danny Hurley as well. You know, right? Like it's it's important. Like you can't understate those stories like and it's not that it's 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 everything but we got a recruit saying yo man the head coach said this and i had to go that's a lot because a lot of we know a lot of recruitments are coaches are our players making they connect with the head coach but a lot of it also is them making very close connection with the assistant coaches but when you so when you get a, a, a coach who starts to become an urban legend on the you know on the recruiting trail like we the stories about john calipari are endless on the recruiting trail the ur- the urban legends, they I, I could do a whole hour podcast on my all the stories of John Calipari on the recruiting trail and why he said this thing or did that thing that be- made him an even bigger legend on the recruiting trail, like it, it's 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 real, you know. Right. And, and so this that that that's important for Danny Hurley. You mentioned assistant coaches. I will give a shout out to Kamani Young, who's been a guy that has been a uh, you know an electric recruiter. Over the last, I don't know, five, six years, six, seven years, in the Northeast, in that New York area, especially, he's revered as you know, you know, one of the one of the top names out there in terms of recruiting. And he was at Minnesota with uh, Patino, Richard Patino, and uh, certainly helped him get a couple New York guys. And when he left, they lost someone like Isaiah Washington um, with UConn and IC UConn. All of a sudden, now they're getting. They're back to getting guys in the Northeast. Some of that is the Big East, but some of it might also be Kamani Young and his, his connections out there. But whatever it is, it, it's certainly working for UConn basketball. It certainly is, man. Shout out to uh, the Her- Danny Hurley. Shout out to the UConn program. I'm curious. I'm very fascinated to see what their time in the Big East means for putting that program potentially speaking, on another level. Speaking on the, the Big East real quick, St. John's lost out on a kid, Jordan Riley, kid mm. from Long Island, committed to Georgetown. Uh, top 100 kid. That was, that was a tough one, man. You're talking about St. John's. They're not. Yeah, <sighs> yeah Saint, I, I mean, St. John's, you know, you know, and shout out to Mike Anderson. I know that uh, a little bit, we talked about it when he got hired, a little bit of fish out of water. I think he's still trying to uh, find his footing a little bit. They've, they've nabbed some New York kids, so it's not like they're losing everybody. But I think that it, it's the same thing with St. John's. It's, are you going to get the top guys? Right. Like, it, it, you know, New York basketball is full of great talent. They're full of great three-star kind of kids, borderline four-star kind of kids, you know, kids that definitely are D1 players. But you can't have the New York kids you're getting only being those guys. Like, I, I you know, I just, I finally got a chance to check out the, um, the, the the Felipe Lopez, thirty for thirty, the Dominican Dream. I, I watched like ninety percent of it. I think I got twenty minutes left because I was late and I like I was like I gotta do something else, so I turned it off. But you know, I got through his whole career at St. John's, and I, and I remember it a little bit because I was a kid. I remember the end, especially you know, because I was you know that's when I really started to watch basketball. And you know, I kind of feel like Sonny Vaccaro kind of sold St. John's a little short 
he was kind of like, oh, the reason why he went there is because it was New York City. He wasn't going to leave New York City. And that, to some degree, that is true. And to some degree, that is St. John's appeal. But part of the, of the reason why that also made sense is because St. John's had an illustrious history with the years of Lou Carnesecca. And the St. John's program was attractive to New York City kids because they were a team that was on national TV, a team that could compete for a national championship. Maybe not at the time when Felipe went there, but the thought was that Felipe could take them back to that level. But now we've gone now like an extended period of time where they haven't gotten to that level. And I don't know what it's going to take for St. John's to, to consistently be there. Um, I don't have much confidence in the AD right now. Um, the way they handled the coaching search certainly wasn't all that appealing. And it seems like even the, the, the good players that they are able to get from New York City, like a Shamari Pines, it doesn't seem like they're able to really cash in on the years that they're there. Like they're yeah, not able like to really Seton build Hall was able to certainly cash in on the the Fab Five recruiting class that Absolutely. they had. Yeah. Whitehead and Kadeem Carrington and Angel Delgado. They got like multiple second weekend years with that team. Yeah, exactly. You know, so and and St. John's has never, you know, they 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 haven't been able to really do that, you know. But we got we got to give Mike Anderson a little bit of time. You know, I'm not gonna freak out also, just yet. Not not to, not to blast Mike Anderson, but we also had the situation with Ray Salnave, where Ray Salnave yeah. came from Monmouth, Cardozo High School. Went to went to Monmouth. We recruit St. John's recruited him out of high school, but kind of backed off a little bit. Went to Monmouth and had a great year last year. Was their best he player. Did. Decided to transfer, grad transfer. Said that he wanted to go to St. John's or he wanted to come back home, but they told him, "Nah, we're, we're, the scholarship situation is not lining up, so we, we can't take you." And like a week later, well, they, they were waiting on L. J. Figueroa. L. J. Figueroa was in the draft. And they thought that he was going to come back. So they were like, all right, you know, scholarship situation's not working out. LJ's still in the draft. LJ Figueroa comes back and then transfers. And But at that point, Ray Salen had already committed to DePaul. So, I yeah, mean. And, and, and anybody who follows St. John's basketball knows that LJ Figueroa has been trying to get out of there since he got there. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, every offseason, he's been trying to leave. So the notion that they were, and I guess in some way, they're like, yo, we've, we've been able to keep him still. So I guess maybe right. they were like, well, we'll do it again. But at a certain point, like, I don't think he's the kind of guy you should be banking on to, to stay. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it just, you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm, you know, anybody knows what I watch college football, I'm a Miami Hurricanes fan. And so much about Miami Hurricanes football and how important that is, kind of threw, out the, threw up to you earlier and I'll throw it up here. So much of what's important is a, a true connection to the city. And it's a very unique position because so many other schools recruit there. And, you know, you, you're an attractive destination, but so is Alabama, Florida State, Florida, Georgia. So is every one of these other schools. And because there are some limitations because you, you're a school in a big city, it hurts them in some instances. And, and an important part of the program is being authentically Miami. And when I say being authentically Miami, being authentically the city. You're right. I think St. John's is very similar. I think that now, I think that Miami, you know, they're both private schools. I think Miami, you know, a little more rolling the dough, so to speak. So they, don't, they, they have a little bit more advantages in terms of trying to protect their house. But St. John's isn't a, a nobody school. It, it, they do have money. They are a private school. And yet, 
I feel like it's been a long time since they've been able to effectively um, be authentically New York City in a way that resonates with high school kids. Steve Lavin had had them. Lavin, Lavin was was he, he was, was close, nationally. right? But yes, exactly. He was recruited nationally, so that still kind of had a different feel. You know, I would argue that they really haven't felt that way since Mike Jarvis. And I know the Mike Jarvis thing ended as bad as it could be. I'm not trying to make, I'm not trying to give, I'm not giving Mike Jarvis his flowers here. Let me be clear about that. But when they were really good, the last time they were really good was under Mike Jarvis. And they felt authentically New York City. All the guys are on that team. If you think about that era of AU basketball, they were all playing for Riverside, uh, Riverside Church. They were all playing for the Gauchos. No, if you're in New York City, you know what I'm talking about. Like, this, they were a New York City team, and they felt New York City. And they were able to, to keep a lot of great kids home. And the Jarvis thing blew up for a lot of reasons that um, were his fault. But ever since then, they haven't been able to. And Norm Roberts, you know, he was in a tough spot with all the sanctions and everything. And he's a, a new, as New York as it comes in terms of being a New Yorker. But he wasn't able to bring that feel. Lavin brought the, I think, the, the pizzazz and the excitement and the energy of New York. But I, I think that sometimes his in-game coaching didn't live up to what we needed to get out of the talent. And, and again, you talked about recruiting nationally being a big part of what he did. So still that New York feel wasn't there as much. And, you know, now we've, you know, Chris Mullen, that didn't work out. And now we're on Mike Anderson, who's I still think Mark Jackson, not, who's not in New York. You know, not saying he can't do a great job because Mike Jarvis wasn't from New York, but it's it's just we're in it. We're like it's just like a it's like a endless circle of nothing. You know, it just St. John's basketball is in a really tough spot right now. Uh, you said Mark Jackson eventually. I look. I said they should hire Mark Jackson. I never want Mark Jackson to ever coach the New York Knicks. Let me be clear about that as a Knicks fan. I think he absolutely be a great coach for. St. John's, I told you, though, I don't think he'd take that job. I don't think they could afford him. He was taking it after Mullen, but I think... No, nah, he ain't taking the job at any point. He don't want to He don't want to coach college. He doesn't want to coach St. John's basketball. I think it's beneath him. I think he thinks it's beneath him. I think well, that... I know this is alma mater, and I'm not saying he doesn't love it, but I'm right. saying I think based on what that program is now and based on his idea that, look, I coached Stephen Curry. And I'm the reason why Stephen Curry became an all-star captain. Not the reason why, but I was instrumental in Stephen Curry developing into an all-star caliber player. I was instrumental in the Klay Thompson developing into an all-star caliber player. Guys that are going to be Hall of Famers on first ballot. Guys that have three championship rings. My next job shouldn't be St. John's basketball. That's what he's thinking. And I don't think that that's crazy. I, I don't. You're probably, you're probably right. I, I think for him, I would if I was St. John's, if I was the agent, I'd tell him, look, man. If you do that, if you win, first of all, if you win, like you're, you're gonna be coaching the NBA tomorrow. But also, yes. like your your ego is is perfect for college basketball. You know, every the whole program is built around you. Look I what do Penny agree with that. Doing. Yeah. If he if Penny Hardaway is the biggest name, one of the biggest names in basketball, regardless of NBA or college, and he wasn't doing anything, and he was coaching high school. And nobody was talking about him. Now he's coaching college basketball, and he's a bigger name than John Kyle Perry. Like, I, I don't know. I think Mark Jackson, if he was coaching college basketball, I don't think it would be a Patrick Ewing situation. I think it'd be even an even bigger story. I, I don't know. 
but like you said, you know, I don't know if you, I don't know if that's something that really interests him, but um, with his connections and stuff, so I feel like he'd be I, a good player. He, I think I agree. I think he'd be great. That's why I think that he, that's who they should try to get every time they're looking for a head coach. And I'm not trying to fire Mike Anderson on this show because we're not right. nowhere and near it, that point it yet. Ends up someplace else, you know. Maybe right. he also doesn't like the fit. But. Right. Yeah. But like to me, I just I've always felt that Mark feels a way about the kind of jobs or lack thereof that he's getting offered after where he just coached. I think he's like, how could I be a coach with this winning record that coached a team that became a dynasty and now I'm being, you're telling me I have to coach at St. John's. I would, now there's an argument to be said, well, you coach a team to 50 wins that then won like 70 in two years and then became a much better team as you left. That's an argument that we're not having on this show. I'm not even interested in that argument right now. I'm just saying, from his standpoint, that's what he's thinking. And I get it. I get it. Even if it's your alma mater, I think he feels like... And also, the one thing I would say, too, is... While, yes, there's that point of you could be the Pied Piper and everybody, everybody's, you know, talk of the town. You also, you know, you have a lot of risk. Because you're going to a place where, again, there's an argument to be made that it's beneath him. And then if he loses, it's like, well, look, the guy was a bum. Like... Okay, he had Steph Curry and he won. Everybody, as we know, anybody could win with Steph Curry. Like, yeah. it may well, not no be MVP, true. And no it, MVP, in my characterization, isn't my characterization. I'm not saying that that's true, right. but that's what no he MVP said. Right. And he's already right. in a position where no one wants to offer him a job. So why am I going to take a risk sure. at a place that is risky? Like St. John's has shown, it's a risky proposition. No NBA team right now is lining up to bring in Patrick Ewing, for example. You know, no. a guy also in a similar position where he felt I should be a coach in the NBA. You know, I've, I've paid my dues. Which is why I, I, I'd never understood why I, Knicks fan, why some of the people in the Knicks media kept propping up, like, why the Knicks need to hire Patrick Ewing. It's disrespectful they don't hire him. I'm like, why is no other team <laughs> looking to hire him? Like, he's like, I'm not, look, I'm not, and I love Beast. You know what I'm saying? I'm a Knicks fan. But if what I'm the not, job he's no, doing at Georgetown and what I've seen from him and no one else wants to give him a job, why should the Knicks? Why is it the, is a problem that the Knicks don't offer him a job? That doesn't make sense to me. But look, man, I, I love St. John's. Uh, I should have worn my St. John's shirt today. Yeah, a brand new one. Um, but it's it, it, I don't know. It just seems to be a program that can't get out of its own way. I hope that things change soon. But I don't know. We'll have to see. But anyway, uh, that's gonna do it for this edition of the Uncommitted Podcast. I hope you guys really enjoyed watching. For those on YouTube, hope you guys enjoyed listening. For those on uh, our audio uh, outlets, of course, you can catch us again on the YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Also on our podcast network, New Generation Podcast Network, which you can find on SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can catch us on social media. We're on Facebook, New Generation Media, on Twitter, at New Generation Pod, and on Instagram, at New Generation Podcasts. I can be found on social media at EJ underscore Stewart and on Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys for listening in. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.